Welcome to Some Coding Required, a podcast from SynGrid about all things open source. This week in open source, I want to recommend the Hacker Noon blockchain tutorial. This, just uh, Google Hacker Noon blockchain, or you can go over to the show notes and I'll have a direct link. But this is a tutorial that shows you how to create your own blockchain in Python. And I think even if you're not a, a Python um, you know, professional, it's written in a way that you should be able to, uh, to follow through and, and develop this uh, kind of uh, pseudo basic uh, blockchain. For me, it was a great way of learning what the blockchain is all about. I had read several articles and talked to many people about it, but to actually create something and play with it and see how it works internally was very useful for my understanding. And not to mention, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, check them out. Um, in general, the Hacker Noon blog is really good for this sort of thing. So enjoy and happy hacking. Today, we're joined by Matt Bernier. He's a product manager at a stealth cryptocurrency company in Denver, currently focused on building products for crypto hodlers, new crypto users, while working close with his engineering team to build a scalable development process. Full disclosure, he used to be my one and only overlord here at SynGrid as the developer experience product manager. He worked on the SynGrid API helped us get from V2 to V3 and update all of our SDKs in the process. And he also threw in a helping hand with our open source community wherever possible, especially during Hacktoberfest. And we sorely miss him, but glad to have him back here today on the podcast. So I'm just going to get right to it and ask a question here, because I want to know all of the things about all of the cryptos. So I want to know, first of all, and all the fans out there want to know too, What's your favorite open source blockchain oriented project? Oh, goodness. Well, first, hello. Hi, Elmer. It's good to talk to you again, man. I miss working with you, buddy. Me too. Um, and I wouldn't so much as call me an overlord as I would say that we were partners in crime more than anything else. Oh, you were Batman. I was Robin. How about that? Uh, I'll, I'll take <laughs> it. Um, favorite crypto open source project Ooh. um i i'm gonna go easy on this one and i'm gonna go with uh bitcoin just because so many crypto coins have come out of that so much really cool technology has come out of the bitcoin project and they've managed to create um very passionate although sometimes rabid community of people that want to contribute and want to see this project succeed. And there's very few other uh, open source projects where you see that people dedicating, you know, days and weeks of time to just improve the, improve the product and discuss it and make everything better for everybody. That's awesome. Well, uh, kind of piggybacking on that, what are your thoughts about Ethereum? Um, I think 
<laughs> based on recent articles, I think that the Ethereum network, um, there's there's some people that are sp- spreading a little bit of fear uh, with the size of the blockchain and what can happen with Ethereum, you know, as a result of all of these tokens being used on it and, and how, how much data is moving on Ethereum. But I think that the team that's working on Ethereum is, is doing what they can to try to make that project as successful as they can. They're constantly discussing new ways to fix it, constantly trying to find ways to make it scale. And it's it's really interesting. We've seen some pretty epic uh, bugs, security problems recently, uh, where like Coinbase actually announced this uh, a little while ago that they shut down Ethereum for a little while because it was basically possible to make Coinbase think that you had deposited unlimited amounts of Ethereum because of the way that a certain contract would work. And, you know, no product survives contact with a customer. And and I think this is just the same thing. People are learning how to go back and fix some of these problems and they're fixing it and just making the entire environment better as a result. Very cool. I was wondering about some of the lesser known cryptocurrencies. Are there any that are jumping out to you these days that seem like they might gain some traction? Ooh. Uh, there's one that's really interesting that I got into as an airdrop uh, called Hydrogen, and they're actually building an API uh, system based around cryptocurrency. Um, I think one of the earlier projects that they had was was like a login interface, um, and I, I just think it's really interesting. They've actually seen some success from getting their token listed on an exchange, and um, you know they've got the coolest html header i've ever seen on a website as well which is you know kind of a big deal for ui ux type of things but it's just fun you can click around and it makes little puddle drawings it's neat um but the fact that they are leveraging developers and and going directly after developers as part of what they're doing i think is a really cool uh, idea really neat move Uh, the other one i like is doc d-o-c-k um I, I can be a doc shill. You probably got like five invites from me, Elmer. On I accepted that one. them all. Uh, yep. And, um, I, I like them because they are attempting to try to take a bite out of LinkedIn. And I think it's good for LinkedIn to have really good, um, <clears throat> you know, have some competition and to do that in a decentralized way just makes, it, it just makes me happy to see somebody doing that where you have this behemoth that they're going up against. Yeah. Speaking of creative uses of coin and developers, what are your thoughts about Gitcoin? So I talked to those guys at Ethereum Denver and what they're doing, I think is really neat. I think that uh, I hope that they take advantage of Hacktoberfest this year because I think they could really leverage that to gain some traction. Um, the you know Incentivizing people to work in open source is, is always the problem. You know, you either have people like the, excuse me, um, you either have people like the Bitcoin or Ethereum or or whatever coin um, fanboys who are going to jump in and dedicate all their time and efforts and passion to that coin because they want to see the world change or they want to get rich or whatever that is. Uh, but that's harder to do as a business, as we learned with um, send grid libraries to, to incentivize people to be passionate about building on top of an API, you know, that may or may not be something they use all the time in their job. 
And so giving some people some incentive to get in the door, to learn the community, to, to see what people are doing and, and that they are accepted, I think is a great way to, uh, to build a community. You know, you just have the other side of it where if people come to expect being incentivized, you know, and that's the thing, that's the reason why they're there. It's not the reason why they, why they came in the door and then they stayed, uh, or sorry, if they came in the door and stayed because of the incentives, rather than um, it being a way to get them in the door so that they can be part of the community, you can end up having that backfire. And so finding some creative ways to work around that problem will be part of the, I think, part of the challenge for those guys. But I think what they're doing is really, really interesting. Agreed. Agreed. As you know, we had As a fantastic know, Oktoberfest had a fantastic last year. Fest and I was wondering and if you had any kind of nuggets of wisdom for those thinking about it coming up this year. I think I still have PTSD from last year. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, in, in a good way, but uh, if there is a good way to have that. But, you know, I mean, with, I mean, what did we do? 30 days, 500 developers, over a thousand pull requests. It was something like three years of work that, you know, the community contributed. And we ended up sending out between 500 and 600 t shirts as a result. Um, I think. One of the one of the things that is really hard is that incentive program, making sure that people, you know, feel like they're welcome, making sure that they feel like they're um, getting out of it what they're putting in. But I think the the thing that really caused us the most trouble was just shoring up the communication. We had a plan for how to promote it. We had a plan for how to keep it being promoted, how to thank people for things, but the number one question that we got on Twitter and in our email and everywhere else people could find us was, yo, where's my t-shirt? And, you know, getting that process shored up and making sure that people, we were proactive to tell them, Hey, this is where your t-shirt is right now. This is, you know, here's the shipping ID. Here's uh, what's going to happen and making sure that, you know, um, people don't have that feeling of being left behind because they, immediately the question came up, are you guys just doing this to get a bunch of free development? And that was never the intention. We wanted to build a community and we wanted to find people that were passionate about APIs or even email to work with them, you know, in the language that they prefer. And we never wanted anybody to feel like we were trying to take advantage. And unfortunately, because of the way that some of that went down, it seemed that way. And I hope that, that you know, the work we did afterwards rectified that. Um, but that was definitely one of the more painful parts for me. Yeah. Agreed. It's something that is really challenging when you think about the logistics of it, when you consider that most of our contributors were places outside of the United States. Um, it was a good lesson on how to uh, interact with the global community. And this year we actually started preparing for Oktoberfest uh, in February trying to get uh, a hold on this. We're super excited. It's become so important to us now. And I hope that those out there listening that have open source projects, I would suggest start looking at it today. Start looking at um, some of the older Hacktoberfest tag things and do some research online, see what people are saying. You'll see that there's lots of stories like ours where people have grown their communities through this um, Hacktoberfest phenomenon. It's, it's really quite amazing. Yeah. And take it serious too, right? Like don't, don't just jump in because you might get some free development and, and don't do it yourself just because there's t-shirts involved. All right. You know, 
make sure that you have the processes in place to respond to every pull request and to every issue that comes in and that you have a way for people to contact you. People want to know that there's a real human behind this project and that that human is genuine and honest because so many people have been burned so hard by putting hours and hours and hours into a project and their pull request never gets merged. Yes. yes. that That's also a really challenging thing about being a maintainer in general when you have especially conflicting pull requests on the same thing that are executed differently. And then you have to make a judgment call and somebody's pull request is not going to get merged. And so you have to be uh, get good at uh, gracefully letting people down in those cases, um, showing them that you still appreciate their work. And sometimes you can even use some elements of their work. There's lots of ways to uh, still make that person feel welcome. But for sure, the human element is key. You don't want to just send them a canned message and, and be on about your day. And that was probably the hardest thing why we have the PTSD because we both were in there um, responding to people one-on-one, person-to-person. But we felt that that's key. Those people who's dedicated their time to participate, their time is valuable, and we wanted to respect that. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the coolest things that happened when we were doing that was that we would have, you know, um, two people that had done basically the same pull request, but taken it from two totally different directions. And more times than not, we were able to put both of those people in a thread and say, hey, you guys have two different approaches. Talk about this. You know, we like this and this from these. Would you guys be willing to work together to come out with a an even better solution? And most of the time, people were like, "Hell yeah! Like this is awesome. We get to learn from this." You know, and they were there to play, and and you got to see people be really creative. Uh, and then the other thing that we did was, you know, we we took care of people who made a pull request. It wasn't about necessarily making the biggest pull request or having some huge impact, right? We gave a t-shirt out for somebody who put an S on a word in our readme file because it should have been plural and it wasn't. They brought the level of the repo up and so they got a t-shirt and we gave t-shirts to people who did these amazing things that we had never even thought of um, that we couldn't have done in the amount of time that they did. And, And we treated everybody equally in that way. And I think people really appreciated that. Two of our biggest contributors did pull requests that individually each pull request probably took between five and seven minutes and they did 50 to 75 of those. And and we treated every one of those the same way we treated every other pull request. We went through, we reviewed it, we made notes, we merged it in to show people how much we appreciate the work that they were doing. It's amazing. I get chills when I think about how the community starts to work together, helping each other. It's really amazing thing. Um, especially when you get someone who starts off angry, upset that they don't have their, their pet feature, and then all of a sudden they make a pull request and they make everyone's life better. Um, these are the, the yeah. little wins in open source that make it all worth it. Um, so speaking of that, as a person that's um, both new to open source and or maybe they're an open source veteran, but they're looking at this crypto world and thinking, whoa, there's a lot going on here. How can I make an impact? Do you have any suggestions on how to kind of dip the toe in and start figuring out how they can contribute to this wild, wild west of crypto? Yeah, I think 
like any open source thing, when you're first getting started, it's really intimidating because the communities are already established. People already lean on specific contributors. Um, you know, they have their own language. I think the biggest thing is find a project that you find interesting. Go look at it. Go read the README. Look at the configs. You know, get familiar with what they're trying to do. Look through issues. Ask questions. And just see if it's a community that you want to be a part of. And if it's not, bail. Go to a community that respects you, you know, even as a noob. And you're going to find that those communities are going to be more successful. And then make small, stupid pull requests. You know, add an S to something. Go fix an if statement. Add some tests. Honestly, most of the crypto community isn't building tests. They're not, they're not doing things at enterprise level scale. You know, and so anything you can do to help bring up the, the quality of the code that the team's producing is going to be a huge win for that project in the long run. And so, you know, there's tons of people who don't want to write tests or don't want to write documentation, but that's how these repos win. And you can be a part of making sure that they're very successful by doing that. I love that advice. So that means if um, someone is looking at what skills that they need to brush up to be a good contributor, Obviously, um, testing would be one of them. Is there any programming mm -hmm. languages you're seeing that are dominating the crypto scene? Uh, well, unfortunately for a lot of newer developers, uh, it's C++. Uh, there are definitely some C-sharp repos, but there's tons and tons and tons of tooling for talking to the nodes and talking to the wallets and working with data on the blockchain that's written in every single language. That's another opportunity. You know, if you go and look in Python, go look in the pip repo for some tools that you think are interesting and then go look in node and see if it exists. And if it doesn't build it in node, you know, uh, it's open source. And so you can take what they've done and you can take the lessons that they've learned and then do it in node and make it available to somebody who isn't going to go and translate between languages. Um, and then that's a way to just make sure that those tools are available for people. And then you can start to roll with that and see what else is, see what people do with what you've provided. What about those who are interested in creating their own coin or their own app that runs on top of a blockchain? So there are a bunch of companies now that you can go to, you sign up, you pay a fee, and then they'll help you to generate a contract. Um, you can definitely do that. And then you can have a token on Ethereum. The creating your own coin, you can always go and fork block, or sorry, you can always go and fork Bitcoin and rebrand it and launch it. There's a lot of people that will sniff that out and they, you know, you, you really want to have a good purpose and a reason for creating the coin because otherwise people are thinking that you're just trying to, uh, you know, get rich or exit scam or whatever. The other thing you can do is go to Etherscan and find some tokens that you like and their um, solidity code is right there in the contracts and you can actually see it. You can see what they did. You can go figure out how different things work, how they did a distribution or that they do transfer requests or they're doing specific logic. And then you can make your own token that does something similar, you know, make a utility token for, you know, buying ice cream or, or something like that. Right. And, and it's relatively cheap to put a contract up on the Ethereum network and play with that and see how it works and then, you know, go from there. 
Wow, you've given our listeners some amazing content and advice. We really appreciate it. Is there anything that our listeners can do to help you out? Um, so I would say, you know, go contribute to open source, go find a project, find somebody that needs some documentation, like I said before, or that could use some testing and, and help a repo out to get to level up, you know, that's Elmer. That's your favorite thing is how do we level up? Um, I think that, you know, we all benefit from open source being there and we all use software that uses open source or we're using some project and giving back even, you know, a couple of tests or some documentation updates can be a huge, huge difference for somebody else going in and trying to use that thing. You know, if you ran into an issue while installing this NPM package, go in and show people what you did to solve it and make that part of the doc so that the next guy doesn't have to deal with that. Um, I think those are all just great ways to make things better. Look at Matt being so altruistic and humble. Um, I'm not going to let you get away that, that easy though. I want to know how can people help Matt? <laughs> what are what are, what are you up to these days? What, what kind of projects are you working on? Is there any opportunities you want to bring the light or, uh, you know, is there a, a Twitter that people can follow? What's the, um, what's Matt doing these days? So you can hit me up at M Bernier on Twitter. It's M-B-E-R-N-I-E-R. Um, I check that infrequently at best. But I think I'm going to go off topic. The thing I've been doing the most recently is fermenting random things in my kitchen. So if you've got a, a recipe for some weird fermented thing, let me know because I'd definitely check it out. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm still trying to, to get through the habanero salt that you made the, the other day. Yeah. Stuff is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, hopefully – um, people will chime in and, and help you out with that. Well, it's been great um, hearing your voice again. I miss having our daily standups. It was um, something that I would look forward to all the time. And now that you're gone, I mostly just sit in the corner rocking back and forth. So uh, I'm glad you uh, <laughs> he brought me out of my shell today. Super excited to see uh, what's next in, in Matt land. And uh, hopefully we'll have you oh, here really? soon. I miss you too, man. It's uh, it's definitely one of those things that sucks about changing jobs is is the people that you work with that were awesome. You don't get to see them every day anymore. Indeed. Hopefully we'll see each other soon in person. Um, and yeah. with that, happy hacking, everybody. For today's Ask Me Anything, we have a question. If I just need to get my SDKs up and running quickly and don't have time to create them, what tools will you recommend? Ah, yes. So there are quite a few tools out there for automatically generating SDKs. Um, of course, there are the ones provided by Swagger, which now open API. Uh, those should be solid. But one of the ones I've seen where I've heard people have good success with is API-matic. Um, I've seen them at several conferences and it appears they have a, a loyal following and uh, I would suggest you check them out. Um, you might also want to just look at the idea of sketching out your plan uh, and publishing that roadmap publicly and seeing if you could generate some interest online with 
with an open source community. It'd be a great way to start building out your community. It was the way that we redesigned our current SDKs. We first put out a proposal of what we thought it should look like and then solicited the opinion of those who were uh, top contributors. Now, in your case, since you're just getting started, it might be soliciting your early beta users, uh, maybe you know that first crop of, of, um, of quality users there. They might have some ideas, and I'm sure that they might want to add some input into how they think your SDK should look like. So I would recommend giving that a try. And if uh, there's anyone out there who wants to um, provide any solutions that's work for them, please let us know. You can email us at somecodingrequired at sendgrid.com or hashtag somecodingrequired on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Today's podcast is brought to you by Email Templates. These are open source templates that you can find at github.com slash syngrid slash email dash templates, where you can check out the show notes and there'll be a link directly to there. These are a repository of email skeletons that someone could use to build any emails that they would like to build. The content um, is not really the the key thing about these templates. It's more focused on providing uh, kind of a broad uh, starting point so that you can make these your own. Um, they, um, the ones that, that are there now, they reflect the most common transactional templates. And I think it's a great starting point for uh, new customers wanting to utilize our service. Enjoy and happy hacking.